Yeah, this weekend was a bit bonkers, wasn't it? An otherwise incredible card essentially ruined by the only two judges' decisions the whole night. And you know what? It got me thinking. Is this as bad as it gets? Could it actually be any worse? Should I just quit loving this sport forever? It's all right, calm down. As it turns out, there is another commission infamous for being its own brand of, let's say, terrible. The New York State Athletic Commission. Yeah. Listen, you can let me know what you think, okay? Because we're going to look into it. I'm Balian from MMA On Point, and here's the top 10 New York State Athletic Commission fails. Number 10. Doug Crosby. Okay, so if you have been paying attention to the live broadcast, you might have heard the name Doug Crosby quite a lot, actually. The Hollywood stunt coordinator Moonlight as an official, who being a New York native is a common fixture at events in the state. And if you are watching this at the time, just after 282, well, you'll be only too aware of his judging work already. I mean, he only gave the third round of Jared Gordon versus Paddy Pimblett to Jared Gordon. And literally the night before at Bellator, he was the only judge to give the man who lost, Danny Sabatello, not just a win but every single round this guy is everywhere okay i am very very sneaky sir in fact hardcore fans will remember his 30 27 scorecard for jorge masvidal in fairfax which led to accusations of being biased against ally quinta all stemming from a feud with ray longo are you guys booing me are you guys you better not boo me or maybe it was his questionable 50 45 in favor of frankie edgar when he dethroned bj penn at ufc 112 in abu dhabi but nah mate the big apple was the home of his most ludicrous offering. In his first event at Madison Square Garden, Crosby was among the three scoring the welterweight title fight between Tyron Woodley and Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. It was fire the night, there were wild swings in momentum, but when the final decision was read and it was a draw, there weren't that many people upset about it. But it was the inconsistency of Crosby's scorecard that once again raised a lot of eyebrows. He scored the first round a 10-8 for Woodley, which kind of felt like a stretch because not much happened in that round, like at all. I mean, Woodley got a takedown but you know he didn't even hit thompson on the ground he avoided pretty much everything but when he dropped him twice nearly submitted him and really dominated him in the fourth round he only gave him a 10-9 a more consistent scoring job would have awarded the champ a win and we wouldn't even have to have this whole nonsense of a draw figure it out crosby also the rematch at 209 was shit number nine brunson silver Leading up to 208, Anderson Silva was over four years removed from his record-setting title run. His only win during that time, a decision over Nick Diaz, was also turned into a no contest due to a doping violation. No Viagra! And in addition to losses at the hands of Daniel Cormier, Michael Bisping and Chris Weidman, he suffered that grotesque leg break at UFC 168. Those four years were rough on the spider. Well, if popular opinion means anything to you, the New York State Athletic Commission helped ease his pain against middleweight contender Derek Brunson. When the unanimous decision was read in favor of Silva, there was a mix of elation for the likable legend and doubt about whether the win was deserved. On pure activity, Brunson was miles ahead of the former champ. He landed 118 total strikes compared to Silva's 54. When factoring in the takedown scored in rounds two and three, it becomes easier to question the judges, basically. In fact, out of the 24 media members who submitted scorecards for MMA decisions, 20 saw it for Brunson and eight of them said it was 30-27. So basically, everyone thought that Eric Colon's 30-27 for Anderson Silva was pretty much bonkers. And guess who scored it for Silva that night as well? I mean, do I even have to say it? Doug Crosby. <laughs> Number 8. Rashad Evans 
Former light heavyweight champion Rashad Evans was nearing the end of his legendary UFC run by the time mixed martial arts got the green light in New York. So finally, he had the chance to live a dream and enter the cage in his home state. His middleweight debut against former Strikeforce title challenger Tim Kennedy would be a featured bout and a homecoming moment for the Tough Two winner. That is until the New York State Athletic Commission denied Evans's license due to irregular findings in an MRI. Often it's a scan of the brain. They found something kind of inconsistent or irregular and the commission's like, you are not fighting. According to Evans in a statement to MMA Fighting, he passed additional tests but was still barred from competing. While he didn't exactly reveal what the medical issue was, he later chalked it up to the commission being overly cautious with its first regulated event. But perhaps that careful approach had more to do with the pending lawsuits and backlash following Russian boxing heavyweight champion Magomed Abdusalamov and his ill-fated trip in 2014 to MSG, which led to a coma, severe brain injury, and permanent impairment. Just two years removed from that tragedy, erring on the side of caution is an easy thing to defend. For further validation, when the bout between Evans and Kennedy was rescheduled for 206, the Ontario Athletic Commission refused to allow Evans to fight, citing the same concerns. However, he has since competed in several other jurisdictions. I guess there's no real clear fault or mistake here when this, you know, incident occurred, but it did cause a huge stir in the community and it kind of ramped up concerns for CTE, making the controversy a little bit less about what the New York State Athletic Commission did wrong, but rather the long-term effects of the sport itself. Number seven, Weidman Musasi. Most of us know that the unified rules aren't exactly unified. Depending on what state the fight takes place in, certain rules will change. This understandably leads to a great deal of confusion trying to remember what applies in the heat of the moment. Okay, we get it. But this was never more apparent than in the co-main event of UFC 210. Gagod Musasi landed a pair of vicious knees to the head of Chris Weidman while the native New Yorker tried to keep his hands on the mat. Thinking the knees were illegal, Dan Mergliar stepped in to halt the action and check the instant replay to make sure that while awarding Chris a five-minute break, it was justified. The ringside doctor was brought in to evaluate the disorientated former champion. In his typical passionate fashion, Joe Rogan protested. He said that the knees were legal. Then the UFC's VP of Regulatory Affairs, Mark Ratner, jumped on the mic to add one very important detail. The New York State Athletic Commission doesn't allow the ref to check instant replay. Upon learning that the knees were, in fact, legal, Weidman suddenly seemed ready to fight again, but the damage was already done. Whether it was due to him potentially exaggerating to prompt a DQ win, or because Mergliar stopped the fight when they were actually legal strikes, Musasi was declared the winner by TKO. It was a hell of a mess. Number six, Pearl Gonzalez. Okay, state athletic commissions have some strange and unnecessary additions to their rule books. Abusive language, 12 to 6 elbows, and celebrations on the fence are all officially off limits in most jurisdictions. Don't know if you knew that. And as Pearl Gonzalez found out ahead of UFC 210, the New York State Athletic Commission also bans breast implants. Really, guys? I mean, shortly after weighing in for her debut against Cynthia Calvillo, a commissioner informed her she couldn't compete with implants. Oh, I'll just fucking take them out. It's a bit late now, isn't it? It's a rule that was meant to prevent a rupture due to trauma. In reality, the likelihood of that happening is highly unlikely, as implants can be stomped and literally run over with a car without breaking. I haven't tried. Don't do it at home. For the record, a doctor on YouTube did rupture one. 
with a blender. So unless the opponent wore spurred boots and, you know, like was a henchman in a Van Damme B-movie, there wasn't really any danger, was there? Beyond that, the idea that someone could go through a training camp and cut weight and then be told about the rule is complete lunacy. Ultimately, the matter was cleared up and she did enter the cage and fight. It's not that hard to believe Paul when she said the whole thing was a massive distraction that contributed to her loss. Number five, Karolina Kovalkiewicz and Silvana Gomez Juarez. In the most recent trip to Madison Square Garden at UFC 281, the officiating proved to be just as interesting as ever. And no, we're not talking about the merits of the stoppage that dethroned Israel Adesanya. No, no, no. Earlier in the night, former strawweight title challenger Karolina Kovalkiewicz faced Silvana Gomez Juarez in a competitive fight that went the distance. Expecting a typical reading of the scorecards by Bruce Buffer, the commentary team got a bit antsy. There was a bit of a delay, and just as it was almost going unnoticed by the audience, a commissioner intercepted Bruce Buffer and began writing on the scorecard before taking it back to his seat for further revisions. Dude, the fight's over, okay? I don't know if you know how this works, bro. After when they were doing the scorecards and they went in and they had to write on it and then they brought it back out and brought it back in, did you know what was going on? No, I didn't know what, what uh, what's going on. Afterwards, the Athletic Commission released a statement explaining the dramatic scene as a transcription error. I am a robot. Humans destroy humans. A brief look at the scorecard itself and it appears that the New York State Athletic Commission confused the identities of one of the judges while one of the judges may have confused the combatants in the final round or one of the judges wrote never mind fucking hell at least the right person won and didn't literally change the course of a division like the math professors that robbed Ian McCall out of a tiebreaker round against Demetrius Johnson. Yeah some of us still remember that one. Number four fucking Paul Felder in it. One day there'll be a great documentary that will tell the bizarre and twisting story that is UFC 223. From the rogue television studio cord that led to the repeated indoor sunglass wearer Tony Ferguson blowing out his knee, a solo Artem Lobov being surrounded by the Dagestani hit squad, and an enraged double champ stepping out of a private jet and throwing a dolly into a fucking bus. Yeah, the good old days, am I right? We'll make a good documentary though. And while Conor McGregor stood before an NYC judge for his actions, the fight card was full it apart, damn it. Days prior, featherweight champion Max Holloway accepted the call to face Habib Namagamadoff for the lightweight strap. We were all very excited. But the short notice took its toll and meant that the man, known to enjoy food between his fights, would be deemed medically unfit and he had his weight cut stopped on the morning of the weigh-ins. After careful review between the State Athletic Commission and the UFC medical teams, Mr. Holloway is deemed so former champ Anthony Pettis, whose original opponent was part of McGregor's collateral damage, was tapped as a second option, but the UFC didn't want to meet his pay demands. Bit unfair, come on, it's showtime, man. Paul Felder, who was scheduled to face Ally Aquinta, agreed, and the bout was set until the New York State Athletic Commission refused to sanction a title fight with Felder, who at the time wasn't ranked in the top 15 of the division. Instead, Ally Quinta, who weighed in above championship limit, filled in, which I mean, doesn't really mean he can win there, does it? I mean, by the rules, that's, I mean, had he won, the Athletic Commission wouldn't have recognised him as the champion. So it's just, oh, it's all pointless, isn't it? I'm telling you, Paul Felder could have saved the fucking day. Number three, Holly Holm, Durandamy. 
Oh, this one again. Well, the title fight that headlined UFC 208 at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn was already marked with an asterisk before it even began. When the UFC decided to bring Chris Cyborg to the octagon, it was a foregone conclusion that she'd be in the promotion's first women's featherweight title fight, obviously. So when Holly Holm vs. Durandamy was announced, instead, it was met with a bit of confusion and like sideward glances. Not to be outdone by the eternal pissing match between Dana White and Cyborg, the New York State Athletic Commission would step in to truly delegitimize the contest. Right, so in a performance that earned him a spot on our list of worst referees, Todd Anderson decided to simply watch as Durand and me repeatedly showed that five minutes just weren't enough for her and she kept hitting Holly after the bell and what did Todd do? Fucking nothing mate. And she was stunning her after the bell as well. Okay, so he didn't do nothing, he gave her a warning and then when she did it again, she got another warning. In an attempt to redeem himself he stepped between them as the last few seconds ticked away in the final round it's just the point deductions that GDR should have received would have prevented the belt from being wrapped around her waist that night. Bravo, New York. Number two, DC Towelgate. Due to the insane practice of starving and dehydrating oneself in order to maintain a specific weight before stepping into a fight, the battle with the scale becomes its own event. And thanks to the gamesmanship of Daniel Cormier and the unobservant eyes of the New York State Athletic Commission, this routine had some drama injected into it ahead of UFC 210 in Buffalo. The defending light heavyweight champion failed to hit the 205 pound mark, instead tipping the scale at 206.2. Two minutes later though, Cormier stepped on the scale again, hitting the mark on the dot. How did he do it? While the anticipated rematch was good to go and no additional chaos would be forced upon the light heavyweight title, there was some reason to celebrate. But more keen observers noticed that DC may have had some assistance. With commission officials standing close enough to pat the champion on the back, it was clear that Cormier leaned on the towel placed in front of him. Very clever. I mean, cheeky. I know he deserves some kind of reward for that one. The look of pure joy on his face right after says it all. Sure, it means that the fight is still on, DC won't be stripped of the title, and that hard training camp will, you know, culminate in a title fight. It's more fun to think that the celebration is due in part to getting away with something though, you know? After his defeat, Rumble Johnson filed an appeal with the commission about the irregular weigh-ins. Honestly, it's a bit late to do that, mate. And of course, the New York State Athletic Commission, they cleared themselves of any wrongdoing. Way to go, Daniel, the 206.2 champ. Number one, the BMF title fight. To be fair to them, the UFC really did roll out the red carpet for the fictitious title of baddest motherfucker. They even created a new belt and brought out The Rock to represent it. Mm-mm, smell what it's cooking. Even the sitting president of the United States showed up. It fed right into everything that a casual fan could ask for. Two superstars in the sport with impressive highlight reels and skills on the mic, pop culture relevance, and the promise of a striking war. So imagine the letdown many had when the fight was not finished, not with a soul rocking knockout or a limb bending submission, but instead a fucking doctor <laughs> stepped in in between rounds and said that it was over. Yes, just before the start of the fourth round, the ringside physician said enough was enough. The outcry from the crowd the fighters and Joe Rogan was immediate and harsh. Even referee Dan Mergliar couldn't hide his disappointment. Credit to Dominic Cruz for wisely pointing out that the doctor was more concerned with preventing a catastrophic eye injury as opposed to satisfying the bloodlust of the crowd. Not how we did it in Roman times, son. And while the incredible endurance of the little brother from Stockton could have pulled off a miracle in the championship rounds, yes, Masvidal was battering him with no noticeable drop in his gas tank. I mean, maybe. And plus his eye was damn near hanging out of his face, guys. Big shout out to Anthony Walker for writing this script. Ant Walker, huh? Hmm, wonder how you get that job. 
You can follow him at AntWalkerMMA on Twitter. Oh, who's that? Oh, is that Ben Rosette? Play my wedding, Ben. Thanks again for the intro music. You can follow him and check out more of his stuff on Spotify. Go give it a listen. It's pretty good shit. All right, go on, tell me then, how controversial is New York, okay? I thought it was destroyed in that first Avengers film. Am I wrong? Is that not real life? I don't fucking know. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the video. Go ahead and drop us a comment, because that's good. Chuck us a like, because I know you liked it. If you didn't, that's also fine. And if you want to see more, subscribe. I've been Balian. I'm going to stop talking now.